Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. My name is Adam Homey. I am your host, and I am honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. Please visit our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com, where you'll discover how we help business creators just like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. You'll have the opportunity to subscribe to the syndication network of your choice. We're on many of them. And you'll have the opportunity to review a breadth and depth of topics from a variety of guests covering numerous issues relevant to business creators just like you. Now, today we're going to discuss business growth through marketing technology. And this has been one of my passions ever since I entered entrepreneurship because those who have been following me for a long time know that I've had a heavy emphasis on finding the simplest possible technologies through the spirit of minimalism to generate the biggest results. And today, we are very excited to interview a gentleman who is going to give us some insights not only on business growth and marketing technology, but we have a couple other things that we're going to discover as we go through here. He's actually a very versatile and well-versed individual, so we may possibly get into startups, we could get a little bit into LinkedIn, we could get a little bit into sales teams. It just depends on where this whole conversation goes. You're going to enjoy our conversation. The man's name is Bill Bice, and he is the founder of Boomtime.com. Let me tell you a little bit more about him. He's been a serial entrepreneur since age 14. He's passionate about enabling smaller businesses to more effectively compete with their larger competitors. One of the core things that Bill Bice has learned in building and investing in companies is the go-to market is always the hardest part of growing a business. A programmer at heart, Bill founded Boomtime, which is a company that tackles marketing as a technology problem by building the world's first marketing-as-a-service platform, Fuse. So, Bill, come on in. The weather's fine. Adam, it's great to be with you. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Now, I, in your very impressive official bio there, I gave the broad strokes of where you've come from and some of what's brought you here. But what we'd like to do before we dive into the main topic for today, because I know we probably have some people who are leaning in, who are opening a separate browser tab so they can go to boomtime.com, looking to discover more about who this Bill Bice is, is let's tell us a little about, let's tell our audience a little bit about you. Tell us in your own words a little bit about your journey and what through brilliance and passion brought you to where you are today serving business creators. Yes, yeah, so I would I would love it if they uh if our listeners were going to boomtime.com and you know I I feel like I was born an entrepreneur. I was I was selling pencils in the first grade because I had found a pain point. I mean that that's how you that's how you know you've got a real business is is when you find a pain point that is that is challenging enough that it that it causes people to curse and what causes first graders to curse is is when they can't go to recess and if you didn't have your pencil you didn't get to go to recess so I I started selling them and I I started my you know my first business when I was 14 putting on road races in in my hometown of Albuquerque New Mexico and that's where I really got my love of working with small businesses I had a a great mentor in the, the local owner of the sports store there, 
and got to see what it was like to to own your own business and you know yes it's an enormously hard work but you you also get to control uh what you know what what happens in your life and i i saw that as as really uh, rewarding and went on to to start a software company when i was when i was 18 and the Sort of the beauty of all that is, is I was young enough to not know what I what I couldn't do, and so I just went out and and did it. And um, because I thought I knew everything, it took me a really long time to uh, to figure it out. But eventually, we created a great company that uh, grew really fast, and and uh, got a corporate acquirer to come in and and buy it. And from that experience, I got the opportunity to go and build and invest in in a lot of companies, which is which is how I ended up running, uh, creating and running Boom Time because marketing I just found to be such a frustrating area because getting great marketing for my own companies was was always so difficult and I tried sort of every normal route I mean one of the things I joke about is if if you want help with marketing for your business there are literally thousands of options which is kind of another way of saying that nobody has really figured out how to do a great job of it right and I think you're on to a number of things with this you know it's funny that I think of myself as sort of an entrepreneur by heart and somebody who's a born entrepreneur. I recall that growing up, I could not wait for summertime because I had a little grass cutting business going. Uh, when I was in college in Penn State in the 1990s and I had all my term papers due for all my political science classes, there I was in the computer lab and there I am dating myself. When's the last time somebody stood in line to, to wait for a computer lab when our phones uh, are more powerful computers than the actual computers we had in the 1990s? But I digress. And uh, I was on websites that sold competition auto sound products, such as amplifiers, subwoofers, equalizers, dual capacitors, things like that, and looking at some of the early e-commerce applications and the ability to make money on the web. So fast forward seven years, and I jump into entrepreneurship full-time in the area of training and development, and I meet somebody in the hallway, and then I get into marketing for seven years, and my current my current path is bringing me more towards organizational and people-based consulting, but there's about 10 years of being a marketing consultant in there, and the thing that I focus on in both areas is how we can use simple technologies to achieve maximum results through applying minimalist principles. So you have more of a story to tell, and I know you have some insights for us. And one of the things that we know, Bill, is, as you've alluded to, you've built and invested in a lot of businesses. And across all of these different investments and all these different businesses, what have been the biggest challenges you've encountered? Well, it really has been the, the go-to-market because you do, you do all this hard work of creating a, a great product or service. And then whether you, whether you really – realize the value of that if you get the the true payoff from that comes down to how good you are to go to market and so there was a really obvious pattern in the so i've i've invested in or or built 27 companies and those that have worked the best have been the ones where we had a really great focus on on go to market and 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 got that payoff and you know i really believe in the 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 type and approach to marketing that I've that I've heard you talk about, which you know, which I summarize as a as an authority and thought leadership approach, which particularly in the B2B space where where I do a lot of work is 
is enormously powerful. It's really the the one thing that that absolutely works. I mean, I always talk about word of mouth marketing because it's it's the one kind of marketing that that just always works. So if you've done that hard work and and you've got a business that's generating referrals today, then all we have to do is the easy part of how do we how do we amplify the effect of that. And, and it only seems easy now in sort of retrospect of having spent the the last six years of really testing and constantly iterating and getting the the leverage of having the data across several hundred companies that that we do this for that that now now that we've got the process down it, it seems easy but coming into this it it came from that frustration of spending a lot of money to get marketing and not seeing the results and that's sort of what every business owner gets frustrated about I mean, marketing would be so easy if you just you spent money and you got the results you were looking for. But that's just, you know, that is not how it works. Even in the simplest forms, I've discovered this. There was a client of ours about 10 years ago. We were introducing them to the concept of doing product and service launches using programs like Product Launch Formula. And the biggest challenge we had with them was convincing them that you needed to do strategy with your marketing. Their feeling was that they were a known name in the industry. People knew them that had been around for about 25 or 30 years, and they should just be able to say, hey, I have this new product, and uh, here it is, and go buy it. So we tried yeah, it that way. Such... Like, uh, like <laughs> where are the sales? Uh, uh, hey, could you? And, 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 and I love this request. You might have heard this before, Bill, is, hey, could you use your credit card and go to our shopping cart and do test purchases of all of our products and I'll refund you? Have you ever heard that one before? <laughs> Fortunately, because I haven't, uh, that I haven't fallen for that one. There, there's that <laughs> that, yeah, you haven't fallen for it, but have you ever heard it? Because I know myself, I've heard it, and a lot of my other colleagues in various permeations that are similar to things I've done previously have heard it as well. And that is how far people will go to – insist it must be some technological issue, not just the fact that their marketing is either uh, mass, massively immersed in suckage or non-existent. Yeah, and it's also so common to, to really only focus on marketing when things are, are slow. And then if, if you have, you know, if, if you are doing a reasonable job, then of course, you know, business picks back up and, and then you pull back from marketing. And yet, what what we see in the data is that it's the consistency, it's the hard work of doing it day in and day out that really is what makes marketing work. There isn't there isn't some like gimmicky miracle cure here. The the miracle is comes from committing to a strategy that that is effective long term and then executing on it day in and day out. And when you make that commitment and really make that investment, you get a, a really amazing result from doing that. But the challenge is, is that, uh, you know, you're, you're running your company. If you're the person responsible for marketing in your business, in a lot of small businesses, that's the CEO, it's the VP of sales. Sometimes you have a dedicated marketing director, but there's always more marketing to be done than, than you have the time and bandwidth to do it. It's just really tough in a smaller business to build the full team that has all the disciplines necessary to really execute on a great marketing campaign consistently day in and day out, and yet that's that's what makes it pay. 
And what is what's such a challenge here is that this is just an area that has really resisted scale and efficiency for so long. And that that's what that's what has to change so that businesses are, are willing to make that investment so they can get the payoff. And that's something I strongly believe in because small business is what drives our economy, it's where innovation comes from, it's where new jobs come from. And yet if if we're not able to make small businesses more competitive with with the, the much larger companies that they're going up against, it you know, it's just it's getting tougher every year because marketing has gotten so you know, a lot more sophisticated. All right. And those are some great points and I have two follow up questions off of that. One of which uh kind of will expand upon something you just said and another which will kind of put a framework over what you just said. So the first one is is other than only doing marketing when their cash flow and their business is down, what are some of the other common mistakes you see people make with their marketing? Yeah, so here's here's my number one mistake, which is that marketing is about getting sales for our business, right? So people tend to always talk about themselves in their marketing, and that is the biggest mistake you can make because, frankly, nobody cares. What, what they care about are the challenges that they have in their life and in their business. And it is so much more effective if you focus on what your audience really cares about and you're bringing them insight-driven content that, that is really helpful to them. And the best way to do that is, is frankly, to give away your best stuff. Like the, the the better you are at giving free advice, the the more thought leadership, the better reputation and brand that you create for your business, the higher quality the prospects and opportunities and leads are that you're going to generate. And so that's the number one mistake. Stop talking about yourself. You you have a unique ability to understand the perspective and challenges of your audience because you're working with hundreds or thousands of, of businesses that have the same set of problems where each CEO in that business, they're, they're stuck running their business. And so you can bring them enormous value and perspective because of that advantage that you have. And yet not, you know, most companies just don't take advantage of, of what is really the key differentiation that they have. You can make such a huge difference in the sales process. Like you can leave the, the product or service exactly the same, how you deliver it, the price. If you change the value you deliver, in the sales process, you can make a dramatic change on the trajectory of your business. And it's that perception of value. You know, we uh, have done this experiment with clients in the past, and what I call it is front-loading the price and back-loading the value. And this, we've done this with information products, and we've done it with some physical products and some retail-type products as well, where basically you set up a pre-sale upsell, which is the thing where somebody says yes to buying something, and then before they're shown the secure shopping cart, they're taken to a page that says, wait, one moment, and then they're offered the opportunity to add something else to their order. So a pre-sale upsell. And we found that when you put most of the price onto the primary offer, and then a lot of the bonuses and upgrades onto the upsell offer, for just a very small increase in price that not only will you have a very high conversion to the upsell, but you'll have higher conversions overall because it's, there's just something about, hey, while we're here, why don't we get this too is the simplest way I know how to describe it. Now, I've had people tell me, oh, that makes no sense. People aren't going to go for that. That's going to be an extra click, and it's going to be annoying. Well, the numbers show that it generates more revenues, period. 
there's just something about that. And we split tested it against having just one version of the product that has everything included versus one where you have this basic version that upsells into the deluxe before the checkout process. So the funny thing I've discovered about marketing is that this has been my this has been my hypothesis for how many years? Again, hypothesis because in science we're testing and coming up with theories. Uh, mine is is that there's three things you need to think about when it comes to consumer behavior: what they say they want, what they believe they think they want, and what will get them to respond in a way that gets you the results you're looking for. Great points there. Classic consumer psychology, which which always applies, but the the importance of testing, we really can't underestimate that. I mean that that's what's really driven us is just that constant iterative approach, leveraging all the data that we have. I mean I I look at marketing as a data problem, and when you when you see it from the perspective of data, so we live in a very different world now. So that famous quote that, that's attributed to John Wanamaker of you know I know. I know half my advertising is wasted. I just don't know which half. We now live in the opposite problem. We know every engagement we're creating. We know how every digital marketing dollar we're spending is 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 what you know what it's producing. And now we've got to turn all of that data into information that can be actionable. And the only way to do that is to test, 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 and, and iterate. And that's what makes our marketing constantly better. Something else that I think about your example that that I think you you have incorporated there is the concept of micro commitments. It's so difficult to get people to just cross the line right off the bat that by taking them down that sales funnel in a series of micro commitments is, is very effective. So we do a lot of work in, in areas that are high ticket, you know, high impact things that you, you can't just buy online. Online is, is a, is a lead funnel so that the sales team gets the opportunity to talk to you. And these days you can't get people to just pick up the phone anymore. It was, you know, that was great when, when the yellow pages worked and, and uh, somebody just looked you up and, and called you. Now you've got to get a series of micro-commitments out of somebody before you get that opportunity to have that face-to-face or, or web conference that allows you to really, to really do the pitch. And, and it's using those same techniques, but just in a, in a lead generation funnel, and it's, it's, all, it's all about getting those micro-commitments. You know, it's funny you mention that because I've been – in business for about 20 years and all along I've been aware of various studies there's no one concrete answer but the trend across all these studies is that the vast majority of folks will not answer their telephone unless it's a pre-scheduled call from somebody they know otherwise they may be sitting right there next to their telephone they may have a caller ID they may see the phone number and if it's not a scheduled call from somebody they know or are doing business with. Notice those elements. Scheduled call from somebody they know or are doing business with. In other words, all those factors basically need to be there. They'll just let it go to voicemail. I mean, I've lost count of how many times I've had my phone ringing next to me, and I just, okay. I've had people in the room saying, hey, your phone's ringing. Why don't you answer it? Like, why do I have to answer it? Now, that is... (laughs) Well, the reality of yeah, the we world. Get so many, now, we get so many one, robocalls exactly. now. Yeah. Yeah, it, yeah. It, and, it's, and here, you know, it's and, just and it's natural human psychology. Right. 
there's a couple other things I want to mention, too, and I want to get your thoughts on this. Uh, as we've discovered this very exciting field of understanding how people gain and expend en energy through social interactions, which comes down to things like introversion versus extroversion with ambiversion and other versions of versioning in, thrown in there, what we discover is particularly when it comes to people on toward the introvert end of the spectrum, of which I'm absolutely one of them, is they will many times, and I didn't even recognize this pattern until I read about this, and I said, oh, yeah, I do that all the time, is if they have an incoming call that they weren't expecting, but it's somebody that they would like to speak with, or even somebody they asked to call them in some cases, they will let the call go and then call the person right back. And the reason is very simple. They need more than that 10 seconds while the phone is ringing to calibrate their energy towards the type of social energy they need to conduct a phone call. So they might need a minute. So they'll let that call go, and then they'll call that person back a minute later. There, it, there are studies that show that that is a thing. And the final thing I want to throw in there, and, and I'm putting this out there because you, know, you mentioned the, how things have adapted in terms of micro-commitments and the use of technology, is now we have studies that show that a lot of folks, even when they recognize the caller and somebody they do want to interact with, will see the phone ringing, will not answer it, but then will text or messenger the person right back that says, hey, saw you called, what's up? They won't listen to the voicemail that might have been left. They won't check the message. They'll just use an electronic medium where they can type something, and they'll say, saw you called, what's up? Which is why you're actually starting to see. Yeah. Oh, so my, how, my how voicemail that? message is part of the problem. Yeah, my, my voicemail message says, please please text me if, it, if at all possible. And, and it's because I'm much better at responding to texts than taking the time to, to listen to voicemails. And, and I think that's what's really going on is, is people aren't they, – they don't even have the desire to spend that time to, to listen to the, the message that you left. And what we're really getting at right. is that cold calling has is, is always been difficult and it's extremely difficult in, in this environment. And so that, you know, that takes us back to, to micro-commitments. The conversation has to start at an earlier, less level of, of involvement and commitment level. That's how, you get, that's how you get people engaged. So it might start as, as a conversation on LinkedIn with a new connection or a chat on your website or a, uh, you know, an initial lead capture of an email in exchange for really valuable information that you have to share. You've got to start the conversations there so, so that we can hit the things you talked about before, which is a scheduled call with, with a known entity. And if you're just coming out of the blue, it's, it's really tough to, to make that work. And I guess the good news for that is I, I don't think anybody really loves doing cold calling. And, and what we have here is a, is a process that, that really does work, that's effective. And so if, if you're doing – if you're selling something where your target audience is, is on LinkedIn, so if you're in any sort of higher, uh, you know, higher ticket item in B2B, LinkedIn is just a, an amazing place because the, the algorithm is very simple today. It, you know, it reminds me of Facebook 10 years ago. We can really understand what's happening. It's easy to test and see what's going on. And it's like the ideal networking event where you get to invite exactly who you would like to meet, the perfect prospects and reach out to them with exactly the story that you want. And if you do it in a, in a very natural, 
I want to build my network and help my network way, not in a, you know, hitting somebody over the head with, with a sales pitch. It's an amazingly effective way to grow your network and, and create a, a great funnel for new opportunities for your company. Yeah, and uh, I was about to make one other uh, point, and I think this goes back to the idea of micro-commitments. And I'm very happy you brought up LinkedIn because I was about to bring up LinkedIn myself because it's one of the things I'm very passionate about. I was having a conversation with a friend of mine in business a couple months ago, and he told me how amazing it was that he would call his son, uh, his adult son who doesn't live with him, uh, and the son would ask him, why didn't you text me before you called me? And my friend didn't recognize, going back to what I was saying earlier, that's a thing. And it was just simply the matter of needing to be prepared to hear from dear old dad. It's funny how that works. And then I made a discovery based on his epiphany. I was putting one of my own ventures into soft launch, and I wanted to start some initial conversations with some people in my network about what that could look like and see what opportunities were out there, who knew who, and and uh, get some feedback on it. So legitimately doing that model where you begin your soft launch by having a lot of conversations with people. And I sat down, uh, this was one evening, and I remember the day very clearly because it was the day of uh, here in the United States, the last time the president gave a State of the Union address. I believe it was February 2019, some such. So an hour before the president went before Congress, I sat down on my laptop. I opened up my Facebook Messenger and my LinkedIn Messenger. I had a list of 50 people that I wanted to reach out to. And the, the, I sent various permeations of the message. Basically what it came down to is um, I have this new thing I'm starting, and based on your expertise, I was wondering if I could get on your calendar for a quick 15-minute chat. Notice the phraseology. Get on your calendar for a quick 15-minute chat. Shut the laptop down, watch the speech, open the laptop back up, and I was online for three hours with all the live conversations that those messages had kicked off and all the people saying, yes, I absolutely have 15 minutes for you. Here's the link to my scheduler. Put yourself on. I had 14 calls scheduled for the next day, and I attribute that to the simple fact that I use simple technology to ask permission to get on your schedule rather than try and cold call them. Yeah, it's just the, the new age of, of prospecting. And, and you can put these techniques to work in, in, in just about any business. And, and the, the thing that we have seen make it work over and over again is the, is the, the steady consistency behind it. And, and the, the very specific tactics do matter. So you, you spent the time to really understand how to do that in a way that's, that's effective. And, and that's what we do over and over again for different kinds of businesses. And, and really, I think it's the big advantage I have, which is, which is just lots of data and experience from doing exactly that across lots of businesses. And it's amazing how much better of a starting point that gives you on, on every new new project, and then and then we always constantly test and iterate within that in order to in order to keep learning. Precisely, precisely. Now, I am very excited you brought up LinkedIn because as I mentioned at the beginning of our interview, it's one of those things I know you have some expertise in, and I said if we had time, we were going to get to it. So let's get to it. LinkedIn is the primary way you told me earlier that you've grown your business. 
So if you could give us some insights on how that worked out, I know a lot of our listeners would be very interested in that. In fact, some of the folks who saw you're going to be on Business Creators Radio Show emailed me and messaged us through our business page asking me if I could ask you about LinkedIn since they knew that the topic was going to be business growth through marketing technology. So tell us about LinkedIn, Bill. Yeah, the thing that really made a big difference for our business is when we started treating ourselves as a client, eating our own dog food, and, and doing exactly for ourselves what uh, what we do for our clients, and giving you know giving one of our marketing strategists credit just just as if we were a paying client, and and doing those same exact things, which is which is is really a, a simple process on LinkedIn. So first, it's it's building your network and expanding it. And so you, you, you almost have to sign up for Sales Navigator. You can, you can test this and show to yourself that it's going to work using the basic searches in LinkedIn, but you're going you're gonna to run out of room to run there really fast. This is how LinkedIn makes money off of this process. So you're going you're gonna to have to pay them $80 a month and get signed up for Navigator. And, and what you do is you really spend the time to develop in-depth queries that narrow down to exactly the best prospects for you. So you need to have done that core work first. We've got to understand what our, you know, what our unique uh, proposition is, who the best prospects are, and then how can we find those prospects on LinkedIn. And what we're always looking for is we want to get somewhere between uh, you know, 600 and 800 great prospects per query that are exactly who we want to connect this executive at this business with. And then we're going to send out 40, 50 connection requests a day every single day to that list. And it's going to be, it's going to be very soft. And, and it really only works when you truly are – it's just it's that same example of the networking event. If you walk up to somebody and immediately start giving them a sales pitch, that does not tend to work. It's, it's all about making connections and, and being open and willing to help your network. If you take that same attitude into LinkedIn, you'll be enormously successful there. And so first you want to, you want to develop the – uh, the connection. You should only send connection requests to second-level connections, somebody you already have a connection in, in uh, common with. So sometimes if you don't have a very big network. So if, if you're starting brand new with LinkedIn, you need to import your address book and get connected to everybody you already know. And then if you're moving into a new market or a new geography where you don't have a lot of connections, you know, start with the, the edge cases first, not the perfect prospects, but people who are going to be connected to who you really want because you, you just, you're Likelihood of connection, the connection rate we're going to get with a well-optimized campaign when, uh, when we've got a good opening message and there's connections in common, you know, we can move that up to sort of the baseline of 15 to 20% up to 35 to 40%. And if you get 40% of those 40 to 50 connection requests a day accepting your connection, you're growing your network really fast. And then what we do is follow that up with a message for everybody who accepts your connection request that then shares the thought leadership piece that we call the reframing article, which is really a way of reframing whatever the core issue is that, that you that you tackle or, or some important issue that, that you tackle and use that as a way to get people involved. And it really has to be high value. It has to be something that makes them better off because they read that. Once again, it can't, it can't be a sales pitch. It's, it's got to show the real understanding you have of, of their business and, and the, the market that you're in. So that gets us uh, a, a fast-growing network, and it, and it creates opportunities right out of the gate because of the way we're developing that relationship. That's the first bite of the apple. 
And then the second bite is we need a steady flow of really great content that shows off your expertise that's getting posted on LinkedIn. And so our goal is to create four to six activities on every LinkedIn profile every single week and keep you in front of that growing audience. And we'll typically do that with creating a couple of long-form pieces per month that we reuse. This is, way, this is one of the areas where LinkedIn's very different than Facebook. You can, you can repost the same content. You don't get penalized like you do on Facebook. It's, it's very effective on LinkedIn. And, and there's a lot of specific tactics that, that this tends to change over time. But right now, for example, when you make a post on LinkedIn, it's much better to have the post not be a direct link. Put the link as the first comment. Make your, your, you make a comment on your own post. You'll get twice as much engagement just from doing that one thing because the link doesn't take somebody off-site from LinkedIn and they, they show it to more people in your network because of that. So you put all those things together and, and it, it turns LinkedIn into just a, an amazing force for, uh, for any, any B2B business. So what you're telling me, Bill, is when you make a connection request on LinkedIn, that as soon as they accept that connection request, that you're not supposed to immediately send them a long canned message that talks all about you and then tells them to go to your website, enter their name and email address, and download your free, hot, controversial special report. And then you're not supposed to, like, follow up with them over and over again saying, hey, did you download it yet? You're not supposed to do that stuff? Yeah, crazy, isn't it? I mean, my, my rule is you treat <laughs> it just like, just like a cocktail party. Like, would, would your behavior that you're going to do on LinkedIn, would it be acceptable in a cocktail party? And, and if you get introduced to somebody and they start asking you questions about what you do, then, of course, that you're, you're going to tell them. And the best way to create those is to, is to show off your, your expertise, but it, it has to be done in a way that's very helpful to them. And, the, you know, people are really getting tired of the hard sales approach on LinkedIn. There's, you know, there's a lot of conversations about LinkedIn spam these days, and it comes from that hard sale approach, and it, it just, you know, it just doesn't work. So what I'd like to do now is you brought up a very interesting phrase a little bit earlier. Is you mentioned a reframing article. So rather than send this, this, this big bombarding, hey, uh, me, 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 go to my website and download my controversial special report and sign up for my free webinar, you're sending them what's called a reframing article. Tell us a little bit more about how you define that term. Yeah, so I'm a big fan of the of the Challenger Sale, which is a, a book that, that captured a bunch of research that the Gartner Group did. And it's essentially a way of, of saying that, you know, experts get a lot more referrals in business than salespeople do. And so you want to be an expert in your market, and having a key insight-driven approach to selling is is the way to, to make that happen. And this, and this is what the most – Successful salespeople, which which they you know call challenger reps in the book, this is exactly the approach that they take, and a key part to that is challenging the way that your prospects are thinking about the problems that they face, and because you are likely working with many businesses like them in their industry, you have that unique perspective, and if you spend some time working on that and and understanding the advantage you have in that perspective. It lets you develop those insights that that make that – because my, my goal from a sales standpoint 
is I want a prospective customer to always be better off because they have that sales meeting. So this is just the early stage of that. We want somebody to be better off because they read the, the article that, that you wrote. And that is valuable to them in their business. That positions you as a, as a thought leader. It's someone they want to come back to when they think about that problem. And maybe they're having that problem right this second. And so it keys off that conversation right now, right after you, you have the, this first connection on LinkedIn. Or maybe it comes up 30 days or six months later. But you're giving them this steady flow of insightful advice that helps them in, in their life, in their business. It's, it's tied to what you do, but it's not selling them. It's simply sharing the expertise that you have because of what you do. And so the perfect reframing article gets a prospect to look at a problem that you solve from a different view because of that additional perspective that you have. And it's an advantage that so many companies have, but they just don't take advantage of it, and yet it's, it is so effective. Thank you very much for that clarification. And since we're talking about business growth through marketing technology, here's another follow-up question that I received from somebody. And since we're discussing marketing technology and LinkedIn, keeping up with all this stuff through LinkedIn, you're sending 50 connections a day. And yes, there are numerous people out there who recommend 50 connections a day. So I think you're pretty much in line with the best practices of the industry when you say 50 connections a day. So you send 50 connections a day, and you know a certain percent of those folks will respond immediately, will respond the next day, will respond at random times over the next month, or not at all. So you're not sending out 50 connections today and getting 50 connections approved tomorrow. It kind of can vary. So already you have that little sort of bell curve up and down thing going on, how many connections you're going to get. Now, some folks will also want to track, you know, I sent 50 connections, and how many of these people actually responded to my connection request? A lot of stuff. Now you have people who are accepting the connections, and we want to initiate these conversations, send out these reframing articles, find out what's on people's minds, find out the trends of what it is that people will respond to in a way that benefits everybody involved. How the hell do you track all that? And how do you keep it's, up with it? It's, it's, it's really tough. And this is, this is part of why I am perfectly happy to lay down exactly what you need to do because the, the hard part is, is, frankly, is actually doing it. And, and both of these sides are really tough. So just managing the process within LinkedIn. So some individual salespeople, they just make the commitment. And they say, you know what, I've got an hour for prospecting on LinkedIn every single day, and I'm going to do this. And, and that works, but it is a, a very big commitment. The challenge is, is that we see a lot more success with the executive team in the company running this kind of campaign and then creating opportunities that get turned over to the sales team. That's really what's most effective. And, and frankly, it's, it's just not realistic for, for the CEO, the owner of the company, to be doing this. So you either have to hire a resource internally to do it and have an assistant who is doing it for you, or you, you've got to hire, you've got to outsource it and, and have somebody do it for you because it's the only way that it's going to get done consistently. Right. And that really applies on, on two cases. One is, is for LinkedIn itself. And then two, the reason to build that network is because then you're going to have a, a, a dedicated content-driven marketing program following up behind that. 
it's really going to leverage that network. And then we're going to use it for multiple other purposes also. We're going to, you know, we're going to send it out via email to, to all of your existing clients, every prospect you've ever captured. We're going to use it to drive search engine optimization on your website. So we're going to use that same core program to really build the foundation of the marketing for your business. That requires you have a, a steady flow of really great content. And I've never seen that work successfully where the, the CEO of the, com- of the company is going to sit down and twice a month write a great in-depth article. It's, they've got the ideas. They know exactly what the audience wants to hear. But having them write, it's just not realistic. So we, we have a network of 300 subject matter experts that allow us to go into to any market. And if it's brand new to us, then we go test and find a new, new writer. And typically by the third or fourth writer, we find somebody who's really good at this. You know, there's just so there's so much great talent out there that can create the content for you. That's how we get the steady flow of really great content. So I, I can sit down with the owner of the business and in 30 minutes get a six-month editorial calendar scheduled, have the content written for them, and then all they have to do is review it. And that's vastly more efficient than than expecting to get it done internally, which I, I just I've never seen it work. Yeah, that that is uh, I can tell you myself that. I'm going to be completely candid about this. As the leader of my business and as somebody who – and uh, you know, don't think that you can just contact me and hire me for this because I cherry-picked this uh, for everybody listening – is I do a lot of ghostwriting. So the irony is – and I've spoken with so many other people who say it the same way with them – is I can write stuff in other people's voices that is so, like, brilliant and – I can capture their voice, I can capture their essence, and I have all the time in the world to do it, and I do it great. But then when it comes to write my own stuff, I end up working with somebody else who I then get up to speed in terms of how to write in my voice with my essence and my thoughts. So I've seen over the past 20 years, again and again and again and again, companies hiring other firms to do for them what that firm itself does for others. And I've come to believe that that's kind of the normal state, state of things. And in your last response, I was picking up a little piece of that vibe that in reality, there are certain things you need to outsource, even in some cases, if it's the thing that your co- own company does. Yeah, I completely agree. And your example is so perfect. Like it's just, it's easier to do it for somebody else than to do it for yourself. And it, it's not that you don't know what to say and, and you, you understand your audience better than anybody else, but it's just so much easier to have somebody else write it instead of, instead of staring at a blank screen, particularly when it's for you. And, and the thing that we have done, because what you talked about there in capturing the voice, that is the hardest part of doing this because you are ghostwriting for somebody. It's their ideas, but then you have to, you have to really flesh it out on their behalf. And so we do it in a, in a two-step process. We use a subject matter expert that we don't, we don't have to train them in, in the industry and, the, and, and what that audience cares about because they, you know, they're already writing for the websites and industry publications in that area. And, and so we get the expertise, and then we use an editor whose job is really to, to, to do that little shift to get the voice just right. And, and that's it's putting those two pieces into place and what we've done to really make that efficient is we've built all that into our platform fuse so that for, for us, it's like this magical thing, right? We just put in an editorial calendar that we work out with a client, and then our platform sends it out to a writer, sends it to an editor, 
the marketing strategist gets this end result back, and for them it was just like this magical thing that happened. And, and but you need a, a process and a workflow like that if you're going to be really great at content marketing. Very, 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 and I think it's great that we're bringing this out candidly because I think it's a conversation that a lot of folks need to have. And to me, there is, it's, it's not only is there not anything wrong with it, but there's, it's also sort of the natural order of things. Because when we're doing this type of writing, we're doing it for a marketing reason, and it becomes very helpful when you have somebody who is not you who can see outside the tunnel that you yourself are in. Let me give you an example of this from some of my work is I will I come up with certain catchphrases or certain unique ways of saying things that are meant for differentiation purposes. And I've had the client come back and say, why are you writing this? This is not something I would say. And, uh, and besides, uh, besides uh, nobody in my audience will get it. Now, the funny thing is, is with some of these phrases and some of these ways of saying things, not only did their audience understand it immediately, but their audience started chanting it like a mantra. And whenever the audience saw that message, it brought them to a different state or a different frame of mind that moved them towards a buying decision. Then these clients will go out and do live streams, and in the comments of the live stream, people would start typing back these same phrases that that client insisted that nobody would know what it would mean and it would be stupid. So the fact that they had a ghostwriter, somebody who could see into their avatar, who could understand the pain points, who could understand the pressure release points, who could understand the distinction between what people say they want, what people think they think they want, and what gets them to respond in a way that benefits everybody involved, they were able to have those discoveries take place and it benefited their business and their content marketing conversation. Yeah, what we're really talking about is the power of perspective, right? It's just easier to see. Yeah. It's easier for me to see it for you. It's easier for you to see it for me. It's not because I'm particularly uh, brilliant. I, I may think of myself that way, but it, it, it really comes just, just from the benefit of, of perspective. And so a third party has a, a, a real power to be able to do that for you. And, and they can really avoid that the number one mistake in marketing of, of not constantly talking about yourself. That's so much easier to do when it's literally not you doing the, the, the core writing. Right. So here's what I, here's what I uh, you know, the, the way it works if I choose to take on a client for, for whom I do ghostwriting is basically the first 30 days makes it or breaks it. And if we can't, make it work out within those first 30 days, it's unlikely to ever happen, and we, you know, we, you know, we shake hands and go our separate ways, or we find some other way to do business together or something like that. But in the very few cases where I do cherry-pick somebody to work with, it usually does work out, and here's how it works over the first 30 days. Within that first 30 days, they get to review everything that I create before it goes out on the condition that they get back to me with specific feedback if something needs edited within 24 hours of me making that submission. If they do not get back to me with, with specific feedback within 24 hours, they have to agree that it goes out as is. It's like, it's like if Congress passes a bill and it sits on the president's desk for 14 days, 
and the president neither signs or vetoes, it automatically becomes law, same thing. And by specific feedback, I don't mean I don't like this. You have to keep sending me things until you come up with something I like. No, you have to tell me what it is that needs edited. And that's how we discover the nuances of voice, because when people see something that's written under their own name, but they feel there's something off with the voice, they will correct that very quickly. Or if I'm using a phrase that they're not supposed, if I'm using a phrase that they would never say, and if anybody ever heard them say that phrase, they would know that it was ghostwritten content, that comes out right away. After the 30 days, they no longer get an approval. Stuff just goes out. And we mutually agree that maybe once or twice a year, something will go out that maybe could have been written differently or there'll be a little oopsie here and there. But we understand statistically that, uh, that, that to actually hold everything up for review would be in the way of progress. So by doing this, I forced the conversation of what do we need to do to synergize in order to get the voice down as quickly as possible and how do we keep the focus on action, which is getting material out there, testing messages, testing approaches, and finding out what gets the audience to respond in ways that benefit all involved. So that's just my approach to it. I'm not sure if you would do it differently or if you've seen other things work effectively when it comes to breaking in a ghostwriter, but I think this is a great way as we uh, move towards the end of our time today to, uh, to discuss how to really get great ghostwriting happening for your business, because I think that's going to be a big move forward. Not well, only I think you really captured media marketing, it. Just communications in general. And what you're really talking about is don't let per perfection be the, the enemy of, of, of good enough. And because this is really the low-hanging fruit in, in every business, which is if you stay top of mind, if, if you're good at, at capturing your audience, I and mean, then you're good at staying top of mind with that audience, the, the difference that will make for your business will be huge. And although we pay attention to, to all these enormous small details, our audience is not. It, it's why we can say the same message over and over again, and it seems repetitive to us when we're running our own marketing, but it simply isn't to our, to our audience. I mean, we, we wish they were paying attention to everything we were saying. They're not noticing those very small mistakes because they're just seeing the, the overall big picture of what you're communicating. And the benefit of staying top of mind with your audience is going to be so huge that that's how you get over this control issue of I've got to, you know, I've got to be in charge of every word that goes out under, underneath my name. And, you know, if that's, right. if that's really your perspective and you can't change that, then, then you're losing a tremendous amount of business because what we're talking about here is the only realistic way to have a great content-driven marketing program that is consistently running. It's that, it's that consistency that works. It's staying top of mind with your audience. It is the low-hanging fruit in marketing. It is where the biggest return on investment is. And until you do this work, you know, this is my rule. Don't, don't spend a dollar on paid advertising until you have built this foundation because you're not going to get a return on that spend until you're great at capturing prospects and you're great at staying top of, following up on them and staying top of mind with them. Once you have that foundation in place and we're, and we're maximizing the true value out of all of the clients and referrals that you're already generating, then we can start driving new leads. But everybody flips that around and just wants new leads right now and, and it's just it's wasted money. It's it's why advertising doesn't work. You gotta build the foundation first. Right. You know, uh, I've seen this with – because everybody thinks that they should be doing Facebook ads. 
uh, for example, and that, and listeners of the Business Creators Radio Show know that um, I've had people who we've interviewed on Business Creators Radio Show who are experts in running Facebook advertising campaigns. And the very first thing I told them was, I hate Facebook advertising. I'll never do it myself, and I think it's stupid. Change my mind. And none of them have changed my mind, but a lot of them have given me great things to think about and potentially, I don't know if I'm ever going to reconsider my position on that because I actually have pretty strong feelings personally. Now, let me bifurcate and say these are my personal feelings. These do not translate to what I would recommend for your business because my business is not your business. Your business is different than my business. So Facebook advertising makes perfect sense for a lot of businesses, just not mine. And for my own reasons, I won't do it. Let me just, I just want to get that out there so we have that platform down. So that being said, the trends that come back when I interview these folks who manage Facebook advertising campaigns aligns pretty much, Bill, with what you just said, is having to have a foundation for your marketing before you spend on advertising. I have seen cases where the client paying for the ads will actually order their marketing agency to start running ads for their $997 home study course. And I'm thinking... Okay, this client is actually saying that they are volunteering to pay to learn something we all know. <laughs> so even with so before you start spending your money on this messaging, it's very important to go back and listen to what uh, you and I have discussed. Yeah, because honestly, our biggest challenge in getting companies to do the right things in their marketing is all the other things they've done in the past that haven't worked. I mean, nobody's built a business that, that hasn't had this experience or just wasted money in marketing. And it is, that's what uh-huh. we're really selling against when we're selling marketing services is all those things that haven't worked in the past. And most of them come down to this fundamental misuse. It's spending money on advertising without having built the foundation. And most businesses, unless you're looking for enormously aggressive growth, the, all the growth that you want is sitting there if you've got an established business, and it's a, it's a different issue when you're launching a, a brand new company, different different set of problems. But if you've got an established company, you take care of your customers, you've got referrals coming in, the growth you're looking for is sitting right there. We can leverage it. We don't have to spend a dollar on advertising. We just have to build this core foundation. That's exactly what we've what we've laid out today. I think that's fantastic, and I want to thank you very much for sharing that thought with us. As well. So, uh, in the time we have left, I know you have something for our audience. We have about six minutes here, so I want to spend two or three minutes on one more thing I want to run by you. And then I know you wanted to share something with our audience before we wrap up. Uh, in my book, Groundhog Day is an event, not a business strategy. Since we're talking about uh, simplifying things and business growth through marketing technology and all that, I make the argument that the fastest way to get a startup to knock it off with all the stupid bullshit meetings that are a lot of talk and no action and the business plan that always changes and to actually make things happen in the business is go out there and get somebody to pay you for what the business says you'll do. Now, suddenly you have a customer on the line. You have expectations to be met and a deliverable that needs to be in place, on time, at top quality. So you're not going to be having a lot of silly meetings about theoretical stuff. If anything, you're going to be having quick team huddles on where are we with getting this client started? And with that, you start to get real learning about how your offer plays in the marketplace, and you find yourself getting new clients, more clients, much more quickly. 
Just wanted to get your thoughts on how the transition from getting a startup from activity to action is just to get somebody to give them money for what they do. Yeah, and the starting point of that is is you go out and sell. You, so you, you even before you have a product, you, you don't just ask people what you think that, what they think of it. You go out and, and sell it to them, because unless you're asking for a check, you don't really understand what the feedback is. And and I strongly believe that the the founder, the CEO of the company, has to be the one that's doing that initial effort, because that's the only person who can make all the fundamental changes necessary in that startup. Could be the pricing, could be the business model, the delivery method. Whatever it is you have to change to be successful in the market, if you hire somebody to go do that for the, for you, you're going to question, well, are they just not a good salesperson? Do they really understand the market? If you're doing it yourself, then, then you're going to believe it, and you're going to make the change necessary in your business. And then that very next step has got to be to actually ask for the check, sign them up, and then you've got to be honest about what your real delivery is because I believe you sell this way right out of the gate before you have the product. And once they commit, you say, I'm thrilled that you want to do this. I'm going to be able to deliver it in whatever the realistic time frame is. And if you really have a high value proposition, they're going to stick with you because it's really worth you building that business. It is it is the perfect way to, to test the value proposition for, for your company. And this is what makes it real. And you just keep iterating on that and testing until you find the, the right product market fit. Exactly. So we're pretty much at the end of our time here. And uh, you mentioned to me, in the green room that uh, there's something you want to share with anybody who may be leaning in, wanting to discover more about this, connect with you, and discover more about how you start business creators. So tell us just a little bit about that real quickly. Yeah, so I, you know, I love to hear from business owners. I, I, I love helping people with their marketing. You can reach out to me at CEO at boomtime.com. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm following in your your footsteps. I've I've started my own podcast, the the B2B word of mouth marketing podcast. I don't I don't have the, the years of experience that, that you do yet, but I'm having a lot of fun doing this. And 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 what I do is just lay out exactly what we have learned that has been enormously effective in helping these B2B businesses grow. And and you just, you have to find a way to do it. And whether whether you uh, make it happen yourself because you're a very, you know, very small company or whether you bring in the resources, you hire somebody to do it. It, it works. You just, you just have to go do it and, and make, make that long-term investment because the, the payoff is waiting for you if you, if you make the commitment. That is a great way to wrap up. And Bill Bice of boomtime.com. I want to thank you so much for taking the time to join us here at business creators radio today. It has been an honor and it's been an education. It has been a lot of fun. Thank you. For everybody listening, this is Adam Homey, host of the Business Creators Radio Show. Please go to our website, www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite syndication network. Go back, listen to this episode and other episodes that help you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.